Shouts to the Combos Court sponsor, Prize Picks. For a first deposit match up to $100, use code COMBO. That's right, use code COMBO for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Let's get into it. Adam Mates, Locked On Nuggets, the NVR crew. Got a, you got a pod with legs now? What's going on, man? What's new with you? Pod legs, yeah, man. Legler, me and him do it four times a week, all NBA show. Four times a week? Wow. Legs got a lot to say, man. Every game he's got takes. So let's Jokic. Um, obviously, only one championship, but do you see a trajectory, a world where Eventually, down the line, he gets into that top 10, top five. Who knows? Maybe even the GOAT debate with LeBron and Jordan. I mean, the window of possibility is open, which you can't say about too many guys. I always say that whenever we talk about the GOAT, because people will say something like Luka Doncic. You know, and they'll want to say he has a chance to be the greatest of all time. And I always say these conversations will piss people off because talent it's like you got to start doing stuff. There's steps along the way. With Jokic, I will say I think that door is open. Like Carl Anthony Towns, the door is not open for that. That is not a conversation we can have. But there are few players where the door is open, but I don't also don't want to give that to them until they do it. So for Jokic, that door is open. I think right now, for me personally, if I were to rank him, he's in that Dirk territory. He's in that territory where you're talking about really great players that got one and had really great careers, great playoff success. But there's just something, too, so the appreciation of what it takes to win a championship that the guys that have three, four, five, until Yoke gets there, I'm not going to give it to him. From a skill set perspective, what separates him and Dirk, um, obviously he's not the shooter of Dirk, but he just makes everybody around him better at a very elite level. Yeah. I mean, well, you do that, but then how much of that is the game? You know, the game has evolved a little bit. We have a lot of guys now, whereas back in the day, I don't think we had a lot of do-it-all type players. There were a handful sprinkled in the decade. Right now, you've got a lot of guys. So part of me looks at it and says, we have to judge these guys relative to the errors of which they played. And in Dirk's era, a power forward that stretched the court and scored and rebounding, that's what was asked of him. If he came along today, would he be a little bit more heliocentric? Maybe. I don't know. But hmm. I got to judge because it's apples and oranges. I got to try to judge them relative to the eras they were in. And Dirk won a title and was pretty dominant for 10 years there at his peak. Yoke won a title and has been dominant for about five, six years, you know, at his peak. So that, that's kind of how I look at it. That's a fascinating point because I feel like when Dirk was playing basketball, it was more about slotting positions and the Denver Nuggets are a perfect example of it, of this. It's, it's more about blending skill sets and tendencies than positions these days. No, no question about it. You're checking the boxes and those positions throw them out the window. I mean, Yoke's the best example of this, honestly, and maybe of everybody in the league and he's your point center. He's, he's your point, but he plays the center position. So that means your guards have to do, you know, other things, your wings have to do other things. And that's what makes, and by the way, that's what makes basketball so great in my opinion. And that's why I love this style of basketball is it's the greatest balance of individual brilliance and chemistry with other guys. Yoke's unbelievable as an individual talent, but it's the way the other four guys play off of him and he plays off of yeah. them. that makes the nuggets. So interesting is it's that blend that the team is great. I always say 
I hope that the Nuggets is starting five is the thing that gets remembered about this era. Like I love the two man game. I love Yoke. They're going to get remembered. But I hope the way we talk about the Warriors death lineup, like I hope that we talk about the Nuggets starting five in that way of like, yeah, but those five guys fit together and checked all boxes collectively. Yeah, I mean, that's another great point because the Warriors skill sets, especially when you're talking about Draymond, Clay, and Steph, it fits so perfectly together. And now you have four or five guys like that with Denver where, you know, obviously Point Jokic, Point Murray, they work well together. They can play on the ball, play off the ball. And then you have Aaron Gordon cutting off the ball. Uh, do you see that happening with a lot of other teams as well? Or it's hard to duplicate because of the chemistry this team has built? So let's think about last night's game. Nuggets play the Milwaukee Bucks. And what's interesting is you have the Giannis-Dame partnership, which fits together in theory, although it's still working out the Kings, but I think they'll get there. You've got Brooke Lopez. you got Middleton. Do those guys, is it perfect? Are they sacrificing too much? Again, I think by the end of the year, they're going to get there. Malik Beasley is the guy that you look at and you go, hold on, that's not a perfect fit. We're not checking all the boxes. He shoots the ball, but does he do all this other stuff? And I think most teams are that way. So when you get into a playoffs, the thing about a player like Aaron Gordon, you can say, okay, we need more frontline help against Yoke, or we got to pick and roll. We got to bring guys over, or we're going to go small. All of a sudden, Aaron Gordon punishes you for going small. He's too big. Or you say, all right, we're going to go big. Well, now Michael Porter and KCP punish you because you're out on the perimeter. So I think Denver, the thing that makes their starting five great is that not only do they check all boxes, but every defensive decision you make to try to stop the main option, which is the Jokic Murray two-bag game, every decision you make opens up a vulnerability that one of those other three guys is able to exploit. And that's what's cool about the five. I want to shift to Jamal Murray because obviously he shows up big in the big moments. We saw down the stretch in the bubble. He was bubble Murray during the championship run. He was absolutely fantastic. But you see other young players in the regular season with these really crazy breakout stats. Are you surprised we didn't see that breakout season from Jamal Murray statistically this year? Yeah, I am. And I was hopeful that it would happen. And I think mm -hmm. it's an interesting story why that's not happening. Because this is the year, of, to your point, of crazy scoring. I think there's something like 49 guys have scored 40 points. I can't remember what the exact number is, but it's a lot. I think there was 140 40-point games this year. Jamal Murray is not one of those guys. Mm -hmm. And you sit there and think, man, this guy put up 40 in the playoffs. How is he not doing it in the regular season? He's averaging 20 points per game, which is, in today's NBA, almost nothing. So, yeah, I am surprised by it. I think with Murray, for me personally, it's a double-edged sword. He always shows up in big moments. He's been in the playoffs three times. All three times he has been phenomenal in those in those playoffs. He shows up for big games. You talk about that Boston game. I think he missed like six shots, went for 30-something points. He was incredible in big games. But for whatever reason, he's like the anti-Joel Embiid. He just does not seem to care about being better than everyone in the regular season. And as a result, he has games like he had earlier in the week where he had nine points against the Knicks and got thoroughly outplayed by everybody on the Knicks' roster. And he just seems content with it. I hate it. I don't really love that that trait. But at the end of the day, I would take I would take him being great in the playoffs and mediocre in the regular season than the other way around. Yeah, he's definitely more of the Jimmy Butler Jokic mold than yep. maybe like the James Harden Joel and B mold. Totally. Yeah. yeah, and and you know what? He's so good in the two-man game, and he does a lot of that stuff. I always say the biggest difference between Murray in the playoffs and the regular season is he just seems like he's in way better shape. And so I joke that Murray and Jokic are the Kobe and Shaq of this era, mm. and I think Murray's the Shaq. <laughs> like, okay. The regular season is his, like, warm-up, 
you know, and and whatever. And Yoke's the one that seems to be just driven, you know, 365 days a year. Another guy that fitted so great last season was um, Bruce Brown. And obviously he's been missed. But do you feel with that said that there's less margin for error this year when it comes to the playoffs for the Nuggets? I think there's less margin of error this year for the Nuggets because of the teams that are in the Western Conference. I mean, oh, I look okay. at the Clippers and I go, man, the Clippers look like a real – I mean, if you look at – people will say Denver had an easy path. It was, Look, they didn't have another juggernaut, you know, the way that you can look at, okay, it's either – although if you go into the season, nobody was picking Denver. Even in the playoffs, nobody was picking Denver. So I think there's a little revisionist history. But this year you look at what the Clippers have done, 27-7 and seven in their last 34 games since November 17th. That's a team to me that – I look at and say they look like a real legitimate threat to Denver. They look like a team that you could say matches up and, and, and everything else. So, And then there's just a collection of top to bottom. I think there's going to be some really good seven, eight seeds out West. So I think the road will be tougher. But the Bruce Brown piece of it, Bruce was so good in the playoffs. And when Denver shortened his rotation, that's when he really shined. I'm curious what happens when Denver shortens their rotation this year. Because last year, Bruce, when Bruce was on the court last year, he was a net negative. Not because he was bad, but just because Denver's non-Jokic minutes were bad. In the playoffs, Jokic is playing 40 minutes a night, and all of a sudden Bruce looks great next to Jokic. Mm -hmm. I think similar things are going to happen to Christian Brown and Peyton Watson, who I absolutely love. And so Christian Brown in particular has not been impressive this year, but once you slot him next to Jokic, all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, this guy looks amazing. And I think the same that, – that's what happened to Bruce. I think that's what's going to happen to guys like Christian and Peyton this year. What have you made of Peyton's season? What were your expectations going into the season and the early part of the season and now? So Peyton Watson is a guy that Calvin Booth went out of his way. He drafted him 30th. He was projected to go like 45th. And that was Calvin Booth's first bold move as a, as a general manager was to take him. He averaged two points a game at UCLA. So uh, with the lowest points ever of a player that played in college and went to the, the NBA. Mm. And so I, he's raving about, it. he compares him, you know, Paul George, he's got some of this in his game and, I never saw it. Even in the G League, I was like, I don't know, man. I, I, he doesn't look like that caliber player. Summer League, same thing. Completely sold me this year. I think this guy's a stud. I think that he is probably the biggest like um, secret in the NBA right now just because people are probably not paying attention to Denver's bench or what have you. But this guy looks like Kawhi Leonard defensively at times. He has the best block rate of any non-center in the NBA. He blocks shots at an insane rate. He's got this crazy standing reach where his arms are just so low. He's got the same physical profile as Jaden McDaniels or Herb Jones. And I think that he makes a similar and dare I even say bigger impact than like a Jaden McDaniels or even a Herb Jones. Herb Jones does it with shadow defense. Same with Jaden McDaniels, stay in front. He can get some steals, but he keeps you in front. Peyton Watson keeps you in front, but he seems to have this knack for blocking shots. He just blocks a lot of shots. So defensively, I love him. And then unlike McDaniels and Herb Jones, who have made themselves into okay offensive players, although be it kind of narrow, I think Peyton Watson has kind of an all-around game that I, I, I don't want to – the offensive part I still got to see more of, but I would not be surprised if he was an above-average offensive player, like for a starter, meaning he's not your fifth offensive option. He might be your second or third offensive option for a team and then your number one defender. I think he has that kind of two-way upside. So you think you believe in the playoffs this season, he could give you more on defense than even Bruce Brown gave you. So last year there was a real, I know there was a conversation amongst the team because they let him play the last like two weeks. Denver, yeah, everybody knows Denver took their foot off the gas. They had the one seed locked up out West and they, they were playing young guys. Peyton played so well in those last two weeks 
that there was real internal discussion about whether or not they should play him because they were looking at it going, we need another defender. Who's going to step up? This guy just shut down KD. He just did all this stuff in the last game when we gave him an opportunity. Should we play him in the playoffs? They ended up not going against him. Bruce stepped up. But I look at Peyton right now and I go, I think he is the sixth best and in some matchups, maybe the fifth best player on the Nuggets roster in a series. Mm. He's that reliable defensively that I just don't think it's like, okay, he's going to run into this or he doesn't make mistakes. He's so impactful that I think he's going to be a guy that ends up playing 20 minutes in the playoffs every single night, no DMPs. And then offensively, look, he's got to have to make open shots that I don't think they're going to be giving him the ball and different stuff. He's going to get limited opportunities, but they're going to be swing opportunities. And I just think he's capable of making enough of those. If you listen to the talking heads across media before the season, they said the Nuggets lack depth. Now, watching this team game to game, have you seen that throughout the course of this season? Well, yes. And I think that's why they're probably going to win about 54 games this year, not 60 or 61 is mm -hmm. in depth. But again, in the regular season, you need about 11 guys. You're going to play nine nights tonight, and then every injury, you need two guys basically that can fill in. Denver does not have the nine, the, the 11 guys. They hoped Zeke Naji would be their fill-in. He has not been that. They hoped Christian Brown would take a step up. He has not been that. So I think Denver has, you know, they don't have the depth for the regular season. But once you shorten that rotation and say, well, your starting five is the best in basketball, you're going to have Reggie Jackson, who's playoff trust. Whatever you think of Reggie Jackson, you can give you 15 minutes in a playoff, so he can do a limited things. And then Peyton Watson, you know, is right there. That's seven guys. Denver last year played a seven-man rotation, seven-and-a-half-man rotation. It was up to eight in games one and two of a series, but if things got tight, it went to seven. I think Denver has seven guys, like seven really good guys. I'll put their seven against anybody else's seven. Eight, nine, it's a little tricky, but I just think longer, further you go in the playoffs, Denver, Denver doesn't need that. Throughout the championship run last season, MPJ didn't shoot the ball great. Do you feel that could add something to this team that could unlock something for the run they're about to go on now? So Michael Porter is the guy who Denver can win without Michael Porter. Mm. Denver has a good game and Michael Porter is off shooting. Denver squeaks out a win. When Denver has a good game and Michael Porter hits his shots, they win by 20. So he's the swing factor because a lot of times, like I said, every decision you make about guarding that two-man game, you have to take from something else. You take from KCP, you take from Aaron Gordon, you take from MPJ. In the possessions that teams take from MPJ, it's a 50% shooter standing in the corner. He's shooting 50% from the corners. 50%. So every time, and it only happens three or four times a game, where it's like, okay, Porter's wide open in the corner, Yoke found him. And when he goes four for four on those nights, or three or four, Denver just goes on runs and kills you. When he goes 0 for four or 1 for four, you know, you stay in it. So to me, shooters are always high variance, even the consistent ones. But Porter is that example to me where you're right. They won the finals last year against a not so great heat team, but they won the finals without him making shots. But in the series where he made shots, they, they won big. As a podcaster, were you surprised he got a yoke on the pod? <laughs> I was blown away, man. It shows what a great, <laughs> it shows what a great teammate Jokic is that he was like, because you know, he did not want to do that. And no. he, Goes up and he does it for him. So I, that I feel like that's almost revealing. Yes, like you know he wasn't super hyped to be on a podcast, and that he does it for his guy Michael Porter. You know, MPJ, pretty good podcaster. You know, for just starting out, like he got, he got he, some skills. He had that one, he get that one. He had Aaron Gordon, and those two were very good. Um, yeah, they had some viral clips for sure. Those yeah, two. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Michael Porter. Yeah, most definitely. Okay. Um, I wanted to end with this trade buzz going across the league. You don't hear 
too much going on in Denver from the outside looking in. Is there some interesting stuff that the media is talking about? The fans are talking about. Maybe you have some inside information that you could share here. I don't know. Like, is there anything that comes to mind that you think would be a realistic, but great trade move for the Denver nuggets to make? So here's a couple of things to keep in mind. Denver traded bones Highlands last year, young prospect, and they traded him for a bag of peanuts and mm-hmm. Calvin Booth. It was our first look at how Calvin Booth handles these sorts of questions. And I think he, being a player, being a veteran guy that played a lot in the NBA, he just knew this is a guy that is not vibing with the team. Maybe has become a a cancer in the locker room. If we give him away for free, it's a win for us just to get get our guys. He also brought in Thomas Bryant, who did not play despite the fact that the Nuggets desperately needed a backup center. He came in and did not play well. I think he probably learned from that. I don't think there's any cancers on the locker room this year, so there's no, like, we got to, you know, just get rid of a guy. There's none of that. They do have some deficiencies, but I think he has to, like they could use a front court depth piece. They could use a backup center. But if I'm Calvin Booth, I probably look at last year and go, I did that. I gave away an asset and I got a guy that played poorly and then was out the rotation. I'm not doing that again. We didn't need him in the playoffs anyway. Suck it up and get through the regular season. And if we're a three seed, we're a three seed and we go. So there's that angle of this that I think Calvin Booth will approach the trade deadline thinking that. But the other part is, do they have players to trade? The only salaries you can really trade are going to be Reggie Jackson's, but they need him. So if you're trading him, you got to replace what it was that he was mm-hmm. bringing to the table, which would seem, you know, I don't, I doubt that happens. And then they have Zeke Naji, who's been a total bust. They gave him a big contract this year. It doesn't kick into next year. And he's been a total bust on that contract. I think they paid him hoping this would be the year. Also knowing that they needed a midsize contract to trade this summer. And so whether he was good or bad, they probably were going to trade him this summer because of that. He's a poison pill, meaning Denver, it's really difficult for them to trade the team taking him on has to take on one salary while Denver can only trade him for a certain salary. So there are some options that I'm sure Denver will explore moving Zeke Naji, but I just, at the end of the day, doubt Denver does anything meaningful. What happened with the bones thing? <laughs> I, you know, it's tough. So think about this. I, I mean, there's a lot of layers to that, but I think one of them is that bones Highland came in when Jamal Murray was out. And he automatically got an opportunity to be mm. on a winning team with a winning player like Jokic, who makes everybody better. He got to mm. act as if he went to the Detroit Pistons. You're playing right away. You play badly. You're going to play. You don't play defense. You're going to play. And he got that opportunity and he played really well. He's a talented guy. Yeah. Jamal Murray comes back and all of a sudden it's very rare for a young player to be given something and then have him taken away and say, no, now you need to go through the process. You missed a defensive rotation. You're out. And I just think that was really tough for him. When in his mind, he was had a great year. He won them a playoff game against the Warriors. It's like, all right, I'm on the up and up. And then circumstances change, and he wasn't ready to go backwards. And sadly, you know, so he had some issues with guys in the locker room. He's a bit of a hothead. He's a, he's a guy that you don't you're not a hundred pounds in the NBA unless you can like eat glass, right? So that's right. a guy that clearly doesn't back down from a challenge and probably creates challenges. Where in Denver he viewed, I think some things as a challenge when it was like, no, this is a learning experience. Be patient. Don't challenge Murray. Don't challenge Casey. If you don't understand your role on the team. And you know, it was tough for a young guy to understand that. I mean, this is a very small piece of the puzzle, but don't you think the coaching staff should hold the player accountable even when like defensively, even when he has all the opportunity in the world so he can learn from, for when he might not have as much opportunity, you know? But I think that Michael Malone, first of all, he's known for doing this. Like he, I think he's a very, Mm -hmm. Coach. So I think he did that, but 
we all know, like when you only have two guards on the roster, even if right. you sit down, eventually he's got to go back up because we got nobody else to bring the ball up the court. Right. So right, right. even though he would be disciplined and this or that, it's still a thing of, yeah, but you don't realize that there's another layer of discipline that once our other point card comes back, you're not guaranteed to be one or two. Now you're two or three or maybe three or zero, you know, just out the game. And look, you know, when he went to the Clippers, he even talked a little bit. And I love Bones, by the way. This is not, I don't want to throw shots at Bones. But when he went to the Clippers, there was a lot of talk of now everybody's going to see. Now everybody's going to see he's not playing. And I think that some young players have to go through this hard lesson of, oh, I didn't realize patience was a virtue and like I was in a good spot. And I think he's probably learning that now being on the Clippers and not getting any minutes at all. So it'll be Denver versus who in the finals? I love that question. <laughs> I, I mean, right now, I'll tell you this. I know this sounds crazy combo and I'm curious. I actually want to hear your opinion on this. We analyze X's and O's. I know you do a great job analyzing the X's and O's. And we talk about that a lot. We talk about fit. There's a layer of toughness that I just believe in, in the NBA that the tough teams make it. And when Embiid missed that game, I wrote off the 76ers. I know well, it sounds like yeah. a hot take, but there's a part of me that goes, you have to be willing to be humiliated in order to succeed. Like you have to be a guy that is willing to put his neck on the line. And I've always suspected Embiid was not that guy. He loves when he scores 70. He loves when he does all this stuff. But are you willing to go and say, I'm probably going to lose tonight and I might get outplayed and the narrative might be that I failed. I'm willing to do that though, because I need the reps. I need to practice this or that. When he skipped that one out, injury or whatever, I don't care. Not being on the injury report, I go, that's a guy that is going to be in a spot where it comes to between whether he can win this, the game or whether he can save face and he's going to save face and you cannot win a championship when you have that mentality. So I wrote them off. I think the bucks need a trade. If they make a good trade to get a shooting guard, I'll buy them a little bit more at the moment. I love the Knicks and I love the Celtics. I, I think the Knicks are tough, man. They're like yes. the Clippers. Their record does not reflect what they are. That reflects what they were, but what they are now is a tough, tough team with an incredible leader and in Jalen Brunson. And I don't think they have the talent to get it done. And some of these injuries are going to make it tough. But I look at that and I go, forget the X's and O's. Which team is tougher between the 76ers and the Knicks? Oh, the Knicks are tougher. What, yeah. what happened to the Miami Heat? Why did the Miami Heat go to the finals last year? Because they found those teams were not tough enough. They were way better. They were way better, but we are way tougher. And at the end, it got close, but the toughness prevailed. And I think the Knicks and, are and the version of the Heat. And to, and to your point, you didn't mention the Celtics, but I'm not saying Jason Tatum is soft, but I don't think of heart either when I think of Jason Tatum. So it's like, I, I totally agree with you. And I always had the Bucks before the season over the Celtics just because of that. And I believe in Damon Giannis more than um, Tatum and Brown, right? And like what nobody's talking about is that everybody was saying that the Indiana Pacers, ridiculous offensive rating, like the Bucks were right there. Right, right. And now, so we... That's yeah. pretty, right? Like, I want to see teams that win ugly just because that's, I mean, <laughs> right. won, the Nuggets won the finals. Game five, what did they have, 89 points? Like, if you would have told most people Denver's going to win a championship because they just shut a team down and did not allow any points. And, like, Denver, for all the X's and O's and fit, they were also equally, if not more, tough than the Miami Heat. So it was like, all right, you want a slugfest? We'll, we'll win a slugfest. And people didn't realize Denver had that in them. They have two, three, one, come back from three, one down. I knew they were tough. So I, I had seen that from them and you're right about Boston. Like Boston has some high profile meltdowns with that core. I think that they are tougher than say Philadelphia, but I do think that that is a test that they're going to face at some point where it's like, all right, you're down. 
It's a physical game. Nobody's calling calling fouls. You guys are a little upset with each other because things aren't yeah. going. Are you mentally and physically tough enough to not let your emotion overcome that and and to win something ugly because you got a bunch of rebounds or a bunch of loose balls? I haven't seen it from them, but I think they're more likely than say the 76ers are to do that. Yeah, yeah. Celtics definitely got a better chance than the Sixers. Adam, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Let them know where they can find you on social media. I named some of the shows that you were on uh, when we started the pod. Um, yeah, yeah let, let them know. Let them know everywhere they can find you. Talking trash for the Nuggets over at DNVR <laughs> Nuggets, analyzing the game of Locked On Nuggets, and then the All NBA Show. Me and Tim Legler, Legs, one of the best in the biz. Yeah. We're doing Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, always breaking down the the days before. And like I said, I love. I learned so much th this year from Legler. Just like we'll watch the same game. I'll make my notes and he'll point something out and I'll be like, oh, all right, I missed that. So that was good. So I love talking with legs. Underrated player too. Great player. There you go. <laughs> Adam, you're always welcome back on the show. Talk soon. Appreciate you, brother.